Well, this morning we are turning our attention from uh, all of the, the, the big prophets of the Old Testament. Now we're going to one of the minor prophets. And for those of you who've kind of been following along in the Bible study, you know that kind of the last section of the Old Testament is a whole bunch of books with a whole bunch of weird names. Names like Habakkuk. <coughs> you guys didn't get that joke. That was, I've been working on that all week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but that's one of the names, Habakkuk, and uh, you know a, a bunch of other different ones. But the, the, the minor prophet I really want to focus on, I, I could go through all of them, but it would really kind of drag out a little bit, is the prophet Jonah. Because people are very familiar with Jonah, and Jonah really has a relevant message that still speaks today. And I wanted to find a video to introduce Jonah, and I found a whole bunch of them, and they were like kind of okay. But it wasn't until I found the kids, the kids' church version of the introduction of Jonah that I was laughing so hard. You have to, you know, you have to put up with my sense of humor a little bit. And so I'm going to, I want you to turn your attention to this video. And if you laugh, you laugh. If you don't, well, there's three minutes of your life you'll never get back. But hey, <laughs> at, least you, at least you lose it in church, right? <laughs> Once there was a guy named Jonah. And he held bullshit and with scarf. God told Jonah to go to, go to Nineveh. But Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. They were bad people. They were doing bad things, like slapping everybody with fish. And slapping everybody with bigger fish. And even bigger fish. God told Jonah they went far away, but I can't stop loving them. I will give them a new start. No, they don't deserve I will run away. I will go somewhere far away and God won't be able to find me. So he went, he got a ticket to not Nineveh and, he, and then he rode the boat and then a storm came. The storm was like shaking and shake the boats. And then the, the soldiers started throwing everything out of the boat. Jonah knew it was his fault. So he said, I'm not following God's direction, so throw me off of the boat. And he fell in the boat. He threw off of the side of the boat. And the big fish, whale shark, because I know it's a whale shark scientifically, <laughs> what he thought he was going to drown, he turned around and he was swallowed by a big fish. When Jonah opened his eyes, he turned on his flashlight. <laughs> he prayed to God said, help me, help me. I will stop running away from you, Lord. After three days, the big, the big whale shark threw up Jonah on the sandy beach. 
and then and God told him the second time to go to Nineveh, and this time uh, Jonah did, and then he um, he told the people to stop being bad and, and do God what God says. The people listened to Jonah and they started loving God. The people were so happy that they played a laser tag a lot. Yes. I love kids. <laughs> oh man. Yo. I I think we're funny to God, you know? Sometimes I watch my dog. I just watch my dog and laugh because I think my dog's I think we're like that to God. He just looks that that's funny, you know? Jonah. Man, how can you not do a better intro than that? <laughs> My favorite part of the video, video is he went to not Nineveh. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, as we begin our journey with Jonah, we need to clarify one point. Jonah is not the hero of the story. In fact, Jonah is more like the anti-hero, you know? Uh, he begins the book running away from God. He ends the book complaining to God. And in the middle, there's a whole bunch of a reluctant attitude to do anything And so in many ways, the hero of the book is God, and the anti-hero is Jonah. But Jonah is important because not only does he teach us a lot about God, but he teaches us a lot about ourselves. Because dwelling within all of us is a little bit of a Jonah. That when God calls us to do something we don't want to do, or go someplace we don't want to go, we can have that tendency to want to run as well. Now, many of you may be thinking, well, I don't know if God's got some big call on my life or some great thing to do. I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I'm not talking about going to North Korea and sacrificing your life as a Christian missionary. I'm talking about maybe your coworker who God's saying, you know what, go talk to him. You got, you've been bitter long enough. Or a family member. You know what, make that phone call. It's time to heal this thing. Or maybe it's somebody in your world that's been put down or rejected and you don't want to be around them because you don't want to be put down or rejected too. It can be a lot of different things for a lot of different reasons, but we all have a Nineveh, and we can all have a Jonah inside us that wants to run from what we know is the right thing, what we know God is calling us to do. And so this morning, we're going to go over some principles about how Jonah worked that out and also learn something incredibly amazing about our God, that he is a loving, faithful, and forgiving God. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, I pray you would open up our hearts that we may receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, there's a very interesting thing. Uh, My first point is this. God often calls us where we do not want to go. Let's begin the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 begins this way. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh was in northern Iraq. Jonah was living about two miles or so away from Nazareth, which is where Jesus grew up. It's in northern Israel, what would be northern Israel today. And so God is calling Jonah to go about 500 miles northeast to the city of Nineveh, which was the great capital of the ancient Assyrian Empire. Not Syrian Empire, Assyrian Empire. And God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse three, 
I mean, this is quick. Jonah reads quick. But Jonah ran away. We don't get what he's thinking. We don't get his sort of self, you know, his internal conversation. We just get boom. Uh, God speaks to Jonah, and Jonah runs. It says, and Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish, which is a, was an ancient town uh, in Spain. He went down to Joppa, where he just happened to find a ship that was bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, here's an interesting thing. You can almost kind of understand it a little bit, huh? You know? God comes up to Jonah and says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to that great city. You know, let's pick a great city. Let's pick, I don't know, Philadelphia. I have nothing against Philadelphia, but let's just imagine that Philadelphia, great city, over a million people. And God says, I want you to go to it speak to the whole city, gather them all around, and I want you to preach against it. Now, how many of you would want to take that call? I mean, God is not asking Jonah to do an easy thing, you know? This isn't like, you know, go there and preach God's love. God loves you so much. God forgives you so you could have your best life now, you know? Uh, Here's seven steps to a healthy marriage. Here's five ways to improve your finances. Here's three ways to have a red tongue. You know what I mean? There's all this kind of stuff that we can, I hate to say it, even Christian pastors, we can preach a lot of fluff and guff, and it just makes everybody feel happy. And trust me, when God says I can do that, I love doing it because everybody feels happy. This is not a message where anybody's going to feel happy. This is a prophet going to preach against the wickedness of the, one of the biggest metropolises of his day. And Jonah's like, wait a minute, God, that's bad news. But you might think that Jonah would have loved to have this call because after all, Nineveh is a wicked city And Jonah wants to see something bad happen to it. Nineveh was part of the ancient uh, empire of the Assyrians. And they were known for their cruelty and their brutality whenever they would take over a city or a country. When they would move in, they would do unspeakable acts to the people that they conquered. How do we know this? We know this more than we know a lot of things because the Assyrians kept very detailed records and we excavate a lot of their cities and we're finding and discovering a whole bunch of things that verify just how bad and how wicked Nineveh was. One of the first things that they would do is they would bring people, usually the leaders or some of the troublemakers, and they had devised a special tool. Now, don't let this gross you out. They had devised a special tool that would skin people alive, literally be able to pull back the dermal layer off of people. And I'd obviously do this to humiliate them, but they would skin people alive. We know that they did this. They would practice decapitation And one of the ancient records we have is when they would cut off people's heads, they'd have somebody time how long it would take. I guess you don't automatically die after that happens. It takes a few seconds. They'd have them time how many seconds would go by before the person would actually die. I know, this is horrible. The mutilation, ripping out of tongues. They were the first one to cut out tongues. In one of the ancient uh, quarters of Nineveh, in the great city, there's pyramids of human skulls. They would bring back the captive the dead captives and bring their skulls and make pyramids as a decoration 
in their city. They would do chin piercings. Chin piercings is where they put a hole through your chin. It's very, 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 very painful because there's muscles and nerves right there. They put a hole in there and pierce it and then drag you around like an animal as they enslaved you. And then, of course, what they did specifically to Israel, we don't know if they did this to other people, but we know, we know that we know his, from historical records what they did to Israel is when they went in and conquered Israel, they would gather up the pregnant women, and I won't go into what they did to them, but they would unpregnant them. So they had a horrible, horrible reputation all around this area. And Jonah says, God, I don't want to go preach to them. I want to push the button and see them go straight to hell. I mean, he, Jonah, these are, this is not a people that Jonah has compassion for. This is not a people that Jonah wants to go preach. He doesn't want to have anything to do with them. So when God says, Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach, you can kind of understand now why Jonah ran. God, I don't want nothing to do with people who do that kind of stuff. And some of you are like, man, I, I'm really beginning to identify with Jonah. But, but here's another thing, another thing that Jonah also knows. Jonah is a prophet of the Lord, and he knows this. Before God's judgment comes a warning. God doesn't just slap us. There's always the warning. I'm going to slap you. <laughs> and so, so Jonah recognizes, you know what? I'm the warning. I'm going to go and preach against it. And there's a sliver of a possibility they might repent. And I don't want that. So I'm just going to take out the warning and force God's hand to fricassee that ancient city. And that's exactly what Jonah wants to do. Because Jonah, Nineveh to Jonah was a people he had written off. They're beyond hope. They're beyond grace. They're not worth my time. They're not worth my life. I'm going to run, even if it means running from God. I am not going to love those people. And as I began to think about this story, I began to realize, you know what? We all have Ninevehs. We all have Ninevehs in our lives. Ninevehs are things that we hate that God loves. Ninevehs are people that we hate that God loves. Ninevehs are things that push us out of our comfort zone. Ninevehs are things where God calls us to go where we don't want to go. Ninevehs are things where God calls us to say things we don't want to say. Nineveh means danger. Nineveh means discomfort. And we all have those areas of dangers and discomfort. And it's amazing the excuses we can come up with not to go to Nineveh. Nineveh doesn't need anything. I don't need to go to Nineveh. Nineveh's got somebody else that can go. It's amazing what can happen because Ninevehs are not what we want to do naturally. Nineveh is whatever and whoever we hate that God loves. Now what's funny is when we personalize this, for some of us, Nineveh may simply be coming to church on Sunday. For a lot of people, you know, they, I hear it all the time. I know I want to be in church. It's good. It's a great way to start the week. I, I don't read my Bible enough, so I want to get some Bible, and I want to be able to worship. I want to do all that. But you know what? Sunday comes around, and I just don't go. There's a Nineveh. For some, and I literally had this conversation the other, the other day with somebody, Nineveh is the Wednesday night Bible study. 
You know, oh, I wanted to come to Wednesday night Bible study, but when I got off work, I was just tired. So I went and got some fast food, and I went home and just farted on the couch and went to sleep. That's what he said. <laughs> I said. I said, I'm thinking to myself, there's the Nineveh. There's always something that we know God's calling us to, and we can find a thousand reasons and excuses not to do it. And deep down, we know it's reasons and excuses not to do it. And deep down, there's a little bit of that, oh, I know I need to go to Nineveh, but for some reason, Tarshish just looks so much more appealing. For some of us, our Nineveh may be working with kids. Uh, We've got a wonderful kids center over there. We've We've got some of the most incredible kids this town has. And yet, you know, we have a hard time getting people to help and go work with the kids. Uh, maybe that's a Nineveh for some of you that you know God's calling you to go work over that kids, but there's just always an excuse or a reason not to. For others, it may be church without walls. Now, let's face it, that may be a real Nineveh for some of us. It might be a place where it's a little scary. It might be a place where it's a little wild. It might be a place where, you know, it's not in our comfort zone. That's okay. If God goes with us, you got nothing to worry about. You know, where is the Nineveh? For some of you, it may be a family member you've struggled with for years, an ex-husband or an ex-wife that still holds power over you, and you hate the fact that they do. Maybe a son or a daughter, mother or father, could be an ex-boss, a boss from 20 years ago who made some comments to you as they were firing you that have stuck with you, and now you still think that's a part of your identity. doesn't matter what it is, where it is. Nineveh is often that place that God calls us to because there's healing there, and yet we don't want to go because the bitterness is too great. This is what Jonah is facing. It's a personal Nineveh. Whenever, whenever any, everything in you says no and you want to run away from it, and God says, but I have something for you there. Number two. God provides the ups and the downs. Scripture is kind of interesting. Whenever you see the word up, there's, a, there's almost always with it associated with following God's plan for our lives. You know, There's the upward call of Christ Jesus. Uh, Jesus came up out of the grave. Uh, you know, Baptism, we come up out of the water. Whenever we're going up in the Bible, we're going up toward wherever God has us. But wherever going down from the Bible, it's we're getting further away from what God has in our lives. The Bible uses the word up, often describe what happens when we follow God. Uh, Jonah, on the other hand, was going down. He creates a 2,500-mile gap between him and God's call. Yeah, the width of the United States is what Jonah is placing between, between where God wants him and between where he wants to go. And jo- Jonah learns, if he learns anything, he learns this. Every step against God is a downward step. And you don't fall all at once. It can take a lifetime to go all the way down the staircase till you hit rock bottom. Every step against God, Jonah finds out, is a downward step. Check this out. In verse 3, it says Jonah went down to Joppa. In verse 5, it says Jonah went down into the ship. In verse 15, it says Jonah went down into the sea. And in verse 17, it says Jonah went down into the belly of the great fish. 
all of those things where he's running from God, the Bible uses the words, he's going down, 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 down. Because Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't care about Nineveh. But most importantly, listen, because this, this is one of the biggest points of the message. Jonah's problem really wasn't Nineveh. Jonah's problem was that God cared about Nineveh. Our problem may not really be our enemies. Our hatred may be a sick way of dealing with it, but it is one way of dealing with it. The fact that we hate them makes us feel good. The fact that God loves them may make us feel upset with God. We don't like the fact that God loves our enemies like he loves us. And Jonah did not like the fact, I mean, yet the Ninevites, Jonah, you know, he lived under their shadow all his life. He could deal with that. What he couldn't deal with is the newfound revelation that God actually cares about them. That God would actually send him as a last ditch repentance effort in order to avoid a judgment against that city. And so Jonah, because of his heart and his attitude, he goes down to Joppa down into the ship, down into the sea. Finally, he's down into the belly of the whale. This is what God means when he hit rock bottom. When he's finally in the belly of the fish, Jonah has hit his worst. He could die very easily. In fact, he's got a thousand chances to die and one to live. And that one odd chance to live is that that whale, by some miracle, pukes him up on the dry land, which is obviously what happened. That's the only chance he's got. And so Jonah is really, he's at the lowest point of his life. And a lot of it has to do with not what God was calling him to do, but how he felt about what God wanted him to do. It's not that he couldn't go and preach. He would go and do it the next chapter. That was the easy part. The hard part was getting over how he felt about God, asking him to do it in the first place. Number three. God lets us get away quickly, but we recover quite slowly. It says in verse 4, And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. Now notice something interesting about God. God could have arranged a different port could have arranged that ship to go to a different port. He didn't. God allowed the ship to be right there. God could have made it so that the ship was going to a different, you know, going in a different direction. Didn't stop that either. In fact, what God really could have done, what I would have done if I was God, <laughs> is I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have, along the way, as Jonah's running, I'd have sent some bandits and have them steal all his money, right? I mean, let's face it. Money gives you options, if there's any downside to money, is it can give you options to run from God. I mean, you can't run from God when you got no money, right? You cannot buy a ticket to Tarshish when you got no money, right? When you got money, you can buy tickets anywhere but in the center of God's will. But when you're broke and all you got is God's will ahead of you, if I was God, I'd have had him steal all his money. <laughs> but God didn't. God let him keep his money. God let him keep his own will. God let him go his own way. And I think that's all the beauty of how God works. He let Jonah go down, 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 down. 
until finally Jonah's in a real mess. He's in the belly of a great fish, and then God has Jonah's full attention. God brought Jonah to a place where money couldn't buy him out of it, friends couldn't save him from it, and drugs would do no good. He is in a bind, and he's got God to get him out, or he's as sure as dead. And the beauty of God is that he'll let us get away quickly, but often allow the recovery to happen slowly. And I think that's part of God's mercy. And it's just part of the way life works. When uh, a few years ago, when Tanya, my wife, she had a bad gallbladder. So she had to get it surgically removed. And I remember, you know, we went to the surgeon's office and we were going, you know, oh, the surgery is going to cost like $15,000 and... And then he's like showing me pictures of, not her surgery, because she hadn't had it yet, but what a surgery looked like, opening up the guts of a human. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to see that, you know. He's like trying to show me, look, 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 okay, 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 you know. I mean, you know, he was, he's really into his surgeries. And so, you know, and, and finally, you know, he said, I said, well, how long is this going to take? He said, oh, I should probably take no one about 10 minutes. 10 minutes? $15,000? No. This better at least take a couple hours. I want to get my money's worth, you know. Go in there and take out anything else she doesn't need, you know. I, I don't know. Do something, but 10 minutes, 15,000. I remember that was my first thought. 10 minutes, $15,000. You know my second thought was? So it takes 10 minutes to heal, but it's going to take 10 weeks to recover. That's what he said, because they got to cut, the, cut into a little bit of muscle. So I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of like how God works in our lives. In a moment. God could heal something inside. But there's always that recovery time as we're walking it out. It took Jonah three seconds to say, you know what, I'm not going to Nineveh, I'm going this way. But it took him three days to get coughed up onto that beach for him to be in a place where he could follow where God was leading with him. That'll be next Sunday. Point number four, God promises once a son, always a son. Or once a daughter, always a daughter. If you're tired of living in the far country, tired of running away, tired of just feeling distant, the beautiful thing about God is he is just like that God in the story of the prodigal son. When the son finally came to his senses and said, you know what, I'd rather go and be a servant in my father's house than sleep here with the pigs. And it says the father saw him from afar off and ran to greet him with hugs and kisses. That is God. And that is God with Jonah. It may seem like God was hard on Jonah, but Jonah was never in any danger. He was always still right in the palm of God's hand. A few years ago, in fact, almost about 20 years ago now, I had the privilege of working for the federal government. <laughs> Those of you who have worked for the federal government, you get that joke. Uh, so... Um, and I worked for the Department of Education uh, setting up their educational seminars for teachers to get their credentialing. And so I flew a lot. I'd fly Seattle to San Antonio, Seattle to Boston, Seattle to uh, Anaheim, and just a lot of different places where we would do these things. And I, I flew so much that I became the most antisocial person on a plane ever. You know, I'd get in the plane, I'd get my pillow, I'd put the blanket over me so that people would think I was dead or something. I don't know, you know. I just sent every message, don't talk to me. 
I'm tired. I've been doing seminars all day. I just want to go home and go to bed. And I still have to go through the SeaTac airport to do it. And so, you know, I remember one time we were flying home from Boston, which is kind of a, kind of a long flight, Boston back to Seattle. And we're on a small plane. You know, it was like a two, two seats and three seats. So I was in the two. I remember having the window seat. I remember thinking, oh, God, please, please, if you just can listen to any prayer, don't have anybody sit next to me, you know? And so, and the plane's filling up. And I remember they start going through the how to do your seatbelt, you know. And, I, and I'm thinking, yes, yes, they're going to shut the door. Nobody say. Until all of a sudden, I see this girl walking back the aisle in front of me. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm looking around. There's like no other seat open. No, 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 please, God, no, 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 no. And all of a sudden, I feel this seat shift. She sits down, and I'm like, why do I even pray to you? You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm like so upset, you know. I did not want this girl to sit next to me. And uh, so, but I'm like, all right, well, I'll just go into Tom anti-social mode. You know, I start getting the blanket out and I'm getting a pillow. I'm going to make sure she knows, don't say a word to me. <laughs> Some of you guys are thinking, man, Tom can really be a, you know, I can. I can be very quiet when I want to be. And uh, all of a sudden she's, she starts talking to me. And I'm thinking to myself, do you see the blanket? <laughs> do you see the pillow? <laughs> you kind of get that I don't want to talk to you, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, I just can't. For some reason, I, I, I can be rude, but I just can't be that. And so, I, I'm, oh, you know, I'm tall. Blah, blah, blah. So finally, I'm like, okay, if I got to endure this, I'll endure this. So we start talking. And we start talking almost the whole flight. Wasn't flirtatious. Wasn't, you know, even though I wasn't married at the time. Uh, it wasn't that kind of talk. It was actually I was just interested, and she's asked me a lot what I was doing and all that, and everybody loves to talk about themselves, right? So I, I just went on and started going. And finally I said, well, what's, you know, what, what brings you to Seattle? She said, oh, I grew up here. Oh, what are we doing in Boston? Oh, well, it's a long story. I said, well, it's a long flight. <laughs> hey, you open the can, lady. And uh, she's like, well, you know, when I was 17, I ran away from my parents. I said the dumbest thing. <laughs> I looked at her, I said, I never met somebody who did that before. <laughs> Things that you wish you could take back. And, uh, and uh, I said, oh, I said, well, well, you're going home, huh? She says, yeah, kind of. I said, well, what, what happened? Well, you know, I, things didn't work out. I got involved in the wrong crowd. Eventually, I was living in an abandoned house with a bunch of drug addicts and scared it was unsafe and i think the house was haunted and i got to my lowest of the low and i gathered up enough coins and i called my family i haven't seen them in i think it was like four or five years she was on the missing persons list i called my parents and uh, i said i want to come home and um, my dad didn't say anything other than okay well i'm gonna go ahead and put some money on a, a ticket at the airlines if you can make it to the airport, there will be a ticket in your name whenever you want to come back. Just spend the credit and let, have the airline call us and we'll come get you. So she said, that's what I did. I, I went right away, got the ticket, and the airlines called my family, and they're supposed to be there at SeaTac Airport to pick me up when I land. And uh, now I'm just feeling horrible that I was so, in my heart, rude to this person. And I said, oh, okay. I, uh, you know, I said, that's... That's tough. And she said, you know, you know what the hardest thing, you know the thing I'm most scared about right now? 
is what if I land and they aren't there to meet me? Or what if I land and my father looks at me and says nothing, grabs my suitcase and turns around and walks off? What if I land and they've sent my great uncle who I've never met to pick me up because they can't, they can't be there themselves? Or what if I land and they yell at me right there in the airport? Or what if I land and they don't say a word, but they're yelling at me in their heart and I can feel it? And I'm, I'm so scared of what's going to happen after I land. Now I'm like, whoa, I didn't expect this. And so, you know, I said, well, you know, I'm trying to be nice. Oh, people are good. And, you know, you, you know things go out in a wash. It's been five years. I'm, I'm saying everything I can say, but I see the look on her eyes and I'm making it worse. I'm making it work. And I could tell that. So finally I said, well, you know what? I said, I'll tell you what. When we get off the plane, I will, we, will, we will get our suitcase together. And I will walk with you. I said, because parents, for some reason, are less apt to make a scene when somebody else is there. <laughs> Unless you're me. <laughs> and uh, she's like, really? I said, yeah, I'll do that. That's great, you know. And so we get off the plane, and and uh, I could tell, you know, she was looking around, real nervous, and she had spotted a group of people that I that she knew was her family, and she was real nervous. She she, she was waiting for the luggage to come around over and over and over and over, and and I knew she had this one little knapsack. I was pretty sure it was hers because she didn't look like she had a lot. And uh, I said, "All right, let's." Let's, let's go do this. And she grabbed her thing, and I grabbed my suitcase, and I was walking next to her. And when they saw her walking toward them, the mom and the dad just ran to her, hugged her. In fact, I don't even think they ever knew about me because I just kind of veered off to the right. I didn't want to veer it off to the right. But as I looked back, I saw an amazing picture of God and Jonah, of God and me. God and you, God and these things called human beings that he loves so much. He loves so much. And I'll never forget that, that God is that person who is always running toward us, even if we are running away from him. And that was Jonah. Before we close our service this morning, we're going to sing a song called How He Loves. Before we do that, I want to make a, just kind of give a time for a moment. Who or what is your Nineveh? Who or what is it that you hate, that God loves, and he's calling you to put an end to the bitterness? Is there somebody or something you've written off in your life? That God's saying, I haven't written that off yet. God is amazing. 
There's no one else like Jesus Christ. No one else. Before we close this morning, and you've been thinking about maybe who or what your Nineveh might be, I want to give a very simple invitation. Is there anybody here this morning you'd just like to make that commitment? That commitment to go back to Nineveh, to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to receive the Holy Spirit inside of your heart, to come back into relationship with that God who's waiting at the airport, ready to run and hold you and tell you everything's going to be all right, that he's with you. If you'd like to just renew your relationship with God, or maybe perhaps choose it for the first time, or if there's a Nineveh that you want to commit to start running toward then rather than running away, let's go up and look up at me right now. Amen. 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 Go ahead and repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. I give my heart to you. Fill me with your spirit and help me to run to the Ninevehs of my life when you open that door. In Jesus' name.